You're listening to the Laugh Factory Podcast Network. For more shows, visit the podcast page at laughfactory.com. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh. <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. <laughs> Hey guys, it's Bill Dawes. Welcome to the Afterlife. We have a kind of different episode uh, today, tonight. Uh, we are here with my friend, Mark Forresting. And I have to say, my friend, because you are actually a legitimate friend of mine. A lot of these comics I have on, I go, my friend and I have to go, aren't we really friends? Because we've only hung out in comedy clubs once or twice. And they're like, mm, maybe. But we're friends. And the reason I have to accept that that's true <laughs> and admit it publicly is that you took your own life into my hands. I took your life into my hands. You allowed that to happen when we were younger, back in the day, and you allowed me to drive you back to Princeton, stick shift, for the first time in my life. On the I Jersey had, Turnpike. On the Jersey Turnpike. Ah! <laughs> uh! <laughs> <laughs> um, that was a scary move for you. And I and my father to this day, Harvey Ford. Every time I see him. Bill Dawes, you allowed yourself to be driven by my son driving <laughs> stick shift for the first time in his life. Yes. Well, the reason, Mark, is because I wanted you to be my friend. Well, Mark, you're one of these guys. Let me just pull up your spot real quick. You're okay. one of these guys who is one of the most, since I've known you, which has been 20 plus years now. Yes, correct. One of the most- uh, That month that came out in the first minute. <laughs> well, you know, 15 yeah. plus, whatever, yeah. around that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ten, so, uh, 10 years ago, we, we met. <laughs> you're one of the most liked people uh, I know, which makes me hate you. No, oh, I'm kidding. No, you, like everyone, everyone loved you back in, 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 in uh, Prince. Everyone loved you and uh, coming out. So, uh, so yeah, I just wanted to be. You, you're like a, you're like a, a man among men. You're a leader. People like want to be around you, Mark. Come on, you know it. It's so nice when you say stuff like that. It embarrasses me, but I know it's genuine and <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it. it is, yeah, it's genuine because you know I'm, I'm a little intoxicated right now. <laughs> <laughs> you are not. You are uh, not. That, that hit I took that you were involved in. Anyway, so. Uh, Mark, let's let's talk about let's talk about you, okay? Because yes. you you've been in the scene now, the Hollywood scene, as an actor, producer, writer, for a long time now, and you've always managed to kind of. It's always amazing because we're we're in touch, but not really. But you always have a new show, a new series. What what drives you? Because by any metric, you've made it. Thank you. You're married. That's you very have nice. You, you live in your head as a neurotic actor, and so. You never think you made it in your head. Of so course. To hear someone say it who is actually in our industry, yeah, uh, it's very soothing. Well, Thank let's you. let's do the. I mean, let's do some bonus because I always assume that people don't know anybody who's on the like. If someone's just coming from outer space and they listen, I want them to be up to, up to you know speed with what's happening. So you you've had how many series now? Like na name some of the shit. I know the, the biggest one probably for the longest running was Royal Pains, right? Um. That was the one where, you know, I feel like I f for many, you know, all the jokes about an actor's status I've made and love and it is the material which I would hope to write a show someday 
And we got some of it into 9JKL, the most recent yeah. show that I had. It was on CBS? It was on CBS. My wife and I created it together, and it was loosely based on my parents and my brother in I, New York. Okay, first of all, the idea that you get to write that show and it, do that show, that's got to be every actor's wet dream. You got to actually have uh, Elliot Gould play Harvey Feuerstein. That's correct. And Linda Lavin play Audrey Okay, so talk about how that came about. And by the way, um, <laughs> there was a time we were casting my brother who, you know, was cool-ish about the fact that we were making a show very loose, loosely autobiographical, but yeah. where it could in any way impact him. And uh, when it came to, he was finally, you know, he was like cool with what was going on. Uh, came time for casting his part. And I had mentioned to him that like, maybe Josh Charles would be in the mix. And uh, he's like, you know, we would start to check in like, how's it going with Josh Charles? Like, yeah, we're looking yeah. good on that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and finally it was like the most handsome, funny beyond all what we could have hoped for. David Walton. Yeah. Amazing. Also like makes us seem just a hair less <laughs> like the honking Jews that we are. <laughs> Just slightly. I mean, that guy's like from, you know, Andover, Choate world. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he was so kind and great on the show and to do it. Uh, sorry, I lost track. So you, you gave your brother an upgrade, basically, with this guy. Correct. <laughs> the point was, just be grateful. Okay? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just be grateful. So this show, uh, now 9JKL, uh, which you never got me audition for. I don't care. But... Uh, it was hold on, <laughs> hold on, because we could go to Royal Pains. I know you gave me a guest star in Royal Pains, which was, which I really appreciate. Uh, Thank you. So, uh, so you, this show did the idea come which, about? By the way, you were so great in. Thank you. Check out my website, BillDawes.com. You did can you, see the scene. That was a great role. That little that that role of the the saboteur that yeah, you played. I, I can only kind of. I feel like the roles I. I'm either rapists or douches, and that's kind of what I'm, my steez is right now. That's kind of what I go out for. I get the most traction for because I can't. You play. were a rapist in uh, in some show on HBO or or. Well, SVU mostly. No, no. Yeah, okay, fine. But weren't you in a uh -huh. show on HBO that I'm trying to remember? No, I don't think it was so. SVU. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's like because I don't know. I think if you can grow like like you can have the mutton chops. And you have the stubble. If and what does that do? It makes us. you like a human. It makes you. It means you can do a Hallmark holiday movie. But w if I can't grow hair, it's like I'm a German Nazi, or I'm like a serial killer, or I'm just the douchiest douche. You know, th that's it. That's you it. You are a very leading man to me. Thank you, Mark. Uh, you can call my agent. Oh, I don't have an agent. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. So let's get back to. <laughs> I'm a little okay. So let's get back to JKL. Yes. Uh, did this idea, had it been simmering for a while or did it come out? Um, so it's a funny thing. I mean, it's great to be talking to you, my old friend and on a podcast where you can just like muse about your life instead of having to come up with the quick story that answers the question. And here's some, you want, you want I'll some have wine some, or coffee? Yeah, put it right there. I'll, I'll yeah, definitely yeah. have some, I was having that. You can finish that and then we'll <laughs> share that. Um, you know, I loved, uh, Louis. Oliver Sholem, as we say, <laughs> God rest his soul. No, he's a genius. Uh, not like the most tactful person to mention at this moment in time. Sam, feel free to weigh in. 
<laughs> oh, great. All right. Yeah, look. That was I, easy. The cop, Look, the comedy world, we're very forgiving, and we bring in... Look, Jeremy Piven is doing shows nonstop at the Laugh Factory. and a stand-up? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much I should talk about that, but there's well, no, a reason why he's a stand-up funny, What's funny not? about... Uh, Jeremy is he was shooting uh, Wisdom of the Crowd yeah. right next to us on the Radford lot where we were shooting 9JKL. Yeah. So I'd see him running in and running out. And I have a friend, Adam Davidson, who was the producing director on that show. And we were both in that netherworld of like, we're not doing great, <laughs> but we're still on the air. And then, you know, he got smacked with a little Me Too action and he yeah. was immediately off the air, even though. Ratings were not horrible. Ratings were not great. It was an easy decision yeah, when you're on the, on the fence to go, this one is bringing us, uh, you know, Cirrus. So, so JKL was happening right when Me Too was happening. Did, did it feel, did it feel you know, like there was so, a change? I'm so in the glad you mentioned that. Um, you're good at this, man. Hey, dude. You just let it flow. He's really good. Um, we really wanted Dustin Hoffman to play my father. Oh. In fact, I remember being like all kismity. There's a little street that leads into the Radford lot and it's called Hoffman Place or Hoffman Street. And I was like, it's meant to be. And then literally like 30 seconds later, we hear he's passing. Oh, um, you're sorry, he's passing. You didn't know why. Right. Um, and I was so sad because it was like, that would be I a mean, fantasy. I mean, that'd be a dream, Anybody's of course. Fantasy. Yeah. And there were a couple of others in the mix there before, uh, you know, we found out that Elliot's show was not going to go forward at CBS, which was another Hollywood moment I'll share in a second. Um, but anyway, it could have been Dustin Hoffman, and then he got me too right in the middle of our season. And, yeah. and it would have been so uncomfortable to deal with a Me Too oh my situation God, can you imagine on a that? show that's as wholesome and nice and menschy All as about our family show. and marriage and commitment, you know, yeah. We'd all be dealing with that. And like, I don't even want to deal with the strategy of how you say hello the next morning yeah. to the guy who just got Me Too. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. love you, bros. Yeah. Sucked what you did, you fucking <laughs> asshole. Love you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, you just cast shit all over our show. Yeah, yeah, but you, you know? apologize, right? We're good. Exactly. Yeah. And so anyway, I was very grateful not to have to deal with any of that. And we all had great players in our show who were good people. But the other thing I was just going to say, and I forgot it as I'm saying it. You, you, you were talking about uh, Elliot Gold and how he was had a show oh, on oh, CBS. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Fucking good at it. Okay? Yep. <laughs> Cursing's okay, right? Oh, God, fuck Great. yeah. All right. That's very freeing to a good boy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like myself. Yeah, yeah. Fuck this shit. <laughs> Stop it. What? <laughs> fuck this shit. Stop it. <laughs> okay. But so, so um, we're looking for the guy to play my father, and we're all over the map. Like, it could be Jason Alexander. Who's probably, and you were also doing auditions for, like, normal people, like, just regular non-names. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, and, like and you're in the room sitting watching people come in like, hey. We never auditioned for the role of my brother okay. just to cover my back with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, come no. on. You could have been great, but we never auditioned. That was a straight offer to David Walton, and he took it. But uh, we did audition people for my father because we were really having a hard time, and it was yeah. like people like Paul Reiser and a Jason Alexander and a John Larroquette and like Dan Loria. Did he come up? Hell yes, hell yes. yes. I think he came in. I love him. We yeah. did an and episode he, of you, Royal Pains. Dan Loria and your dad have a similar yep. kind of face. But and stuff. Yeah. he 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 was great. It just was a different. And, yeah, and, of course. And what happened on one day? was I'm driving to work, Aaron Kaplan, who's a monster producer who produced our show and many that are on TV right now. He just gives me a call because this show, Doubt, was on CBS. It had premiered. Oh, with Catherine Heigl. And yeah. uh, Dulé Hill was in it. And yeah. um, it had premiered the night prior to this phone call. And Aaron goes, uh, 
So it's it's seven forty-five in the morning after the premiere of a show that like other actors are thinking they're gonna like s- support their families for two years on yeah, the show. Of course. First day after, he goes, Doubt tanked, we can have Elliot. Um <laughs> I just spoke to Les, it's all good. Uh we can have Elliot. So, oh so it's like the day after we can have an actor from the show because yeah. they're already like you know, yard sailing the whole fucking <laughs> cast. Anyway, that was just a Hollywood moment, you know? Uh, that's great. So, uh, so you had this show. I was I was asking about how you, the the origin of the show. I know. I think the origin was oh, right. when you did Royal Pains. So you went to live back home. Dude, were you like a? Are you a great threader of conversation in your life? Because no, you're well, so good at it here. I, you remember exactly where we left okay, off. Okay, I'll tell you what it is, Mark. Maybe I, I'm a moron. And no, I no, no, no. Do it, but this is something I've had to accept in my life. I, I'm I'm kind of a second. And when I said like you're a leader, like since I've known you, you've always been a leader. And sometimes, like, you're going the wrong fucking direction. No, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> but you just have, have a quality. And I've always been like, I, I, I got you. I got your back, boss. So I, I've never been the guy who's like, f- I've never felt entitled to be like, okay, ask me questions because I'm running the team. Like, when I was a captain of my soccer team and people would surround me, I'm like, what the fuck are you surrounding me for? Like, go away. Right. You know, make someone else the, the But can team I captain. just say, when you, like, were the second coming of John Malkovich in True West... <laughs> <laughs> While we were at Princeton with a guy who you were actually yeah. killing on the actual oh, stage. Gosh. But you were so phenomenal in such a rock star way that one would never think you had a perception of yourself as a second in that venue. Well, okay. Because you were so, like, I don't give a fuck. Well, it's an interesting thing to talk about because I feel like in a way um, – I mean, our acting styles aren't necessarily different in any way, but I definitely, we talked about this a long time ago. Uh, Lawrence Olivier was getting interviewed, I think, on The Tonight Show, and you told me this story, and he was asked, why are you an actor? And he said, oh, it's easy. It's because I hate myself. And I was like, yeah, I probably am an actor because of massive self-loathing, which I'm not going to go to a therapist to find out like what it's all... I don't mean like massive, like Dude, I'm gonna kill myself. But you, there's you something about like you, you who should. I am as a person is not interesting to me. But the characters I can portray are interesting to me. Now you, Mark, you you have a personality that kind of people remember. You know, you're just like you got. I do a Mark Forsey impersonation. Oh God, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Bring it on. So, Bill, I want to do your podcast, but there's a thing with my wife or... I, okay, now I'm sorry, Chris. That was good. Right. So, uh, no, you overdo me the way I overdo my father. It's, <laughs> it's a tradition in Jewish imitation. <laughs> so, uh, now I have a completely last return of thought. And I don't think of you about. as a second in life at oh, all. Oh, no, Not but, that that's an insult. You just see yourself as someone you, Sam. who listens even more than he necessarily puts himself out there. Well, when I go on a date, for example, when I used to date, uh, it would be, I would be at the, so this, I, I thought about this as a podcast too. This podcast is, it's like having a date where I don't bone or try to have sex with the person I'm talking to. Because Don't speak a, too soon, Bill. You could get lucky tonight. <laughs> you're, some look, more wine. you're looking very good in that turtleneck. Everyone's mocking my turtleneck. Condom sweater of yours. But, you know, when you, when you go, like, for, as long as I've known you, we've never sat down and I never got to sort of say, hey, let me pick Mark's, because if we were hanging out and I started asking these questions, you'd be like, 
dude, what the fuck are you asking me all these questions for? We're hanging out. No, I know. Yeah. It's like the ultimate conversation because you can really, like I'd come home from dinner or drinks with friends my whole life and my mother would be like, what's David Hafitz working on now? And I'd be like, I have no idea. Yeah. I don't ask those questions yeah, yeah, about yeah. people's lives because you're too busy looking for the joke that's going to get you through the night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so as much as we've hung out, I've, I've never really sat and talked to you about what kind of what got you going as an actor? What was your interest in actor? How you started as an actor? Because you grew up in a very Jewish family as you were and this is kind of connected to JK, 9JKL, right? Sure. So, uh, so explain that, explain that upbringing through the TV show and in your life. Okay. Um, awesome question. Like, uh, like ex excited to answer it. Don't know if I can do it justice, but thank you. I'm excited. Me too. <laughs> um, you and me both, Sam, would you want to take? Okay, no, I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, so you were there when I started acting. I mean, yeah. that was, we were there together and, uh, I, w I was a jock. You were a jock. Yeah. We both played football and, um, I got to Princeton and I, I you know, this is the story I tell, like, uh, even students is like, I was doing all the things to fulfill like a resume you know, involved in playing on a sports team, organizing stuff for our class, um, involved in the Hillel. I was doing all this shit that I, I sort of cared about, but sort of was just trying to build a resume to keep yeah. going in life, to get onto the next play plateau of the track that we're all to get to law school, to get a job, to be yeah. a partner somewhere. And uh, then I just auditioned for a play. I, for, what was the play? It was Burn This. Okay. Uh, and... So I'll tell you the quick story of that. That I, a girl named Sarah Colby was directing it, and um, the audition scene was when the gay roommate has written a letter to Pale saying, um, "Dear Pale, I can't take it anymore. Living with you has become unmanageable. When you're done reading, burn this." Yeah. Hence the title of the play. And this is like a modern Mozart composer genius, John Malkovich, made yeah. famous um, in Lanford Wilson's play. And all I know about acting is imitating comedians. That's all I did my whole childhood. Like my, my father, we'd have a dinner for one of his clients. He'd go, Mark, do Eddie Murphy. Really? Yeah. Mark. It was all through stand-up that like led me to acting. Well, there's, there's a, a theory about like why there's so many Jewish comics and why there are a lot of black comics. is Because in Jewish f families and black families, there is a lot of that sort of like friendly comedy competition that exists around the dinner table as opposed to my kind of semi-white trash family where it was just like silent with the TV on. Right. You know what I mean? So yep. you grew up in a family that, I mean, I, I've met your dad. He's a very, is boisterous a good word? Gregarious he is, he's and He's larger boisterous. than life. He's larger than life. He has a bow tie, the gap in his teeth. He's got the gravelly, but he's a partner in a law firm. He's a partner in a law firm. Who's he's, helped me with legal advice yes, over the years. I should listen to it. it. I should listen to it more. We'll skip that one. Check Real Estate Nightmares <laughs> uh, with Bill Dawes yeah, and his yeah. other podcast. So, and you had one brother, no sisters. What was One brother, my brother Eric, yeah. who's two and a half years older and a very successful real estate attorney. Was he also a funny guy? He is incredibly funny. He's much funnier than I ever am. He he really is, like, because he sees the world and um, he has this brutal view on the world. Like, one of his sayings is, uh, guilty until proven innocent. Yeah. And that is a perfect encapsulation of how he views the world. Yeah. And, uh, he was brutal. I mean, he, he, he is, he can, you know, he would judge you, but he was calling a spade a spade at all times. Yeah. Uh, more honest 
than I am in my daily life, both with the world and with myself. Cause yeah. he just, he calls it like and he's he always it. been like that. Yeah. And he's focused and he, and so, yeah, I'm sorry. I lost well, my, so when you were growing up and he was your little brother, were you looking up, up? I mean, was he like the guy that you looked up to? Was he the person you wanted to be like? Was it like that type of sibling or was it like more of a rivalry? Uh, both. He yeah. was. He, he just turned fifty. We just had his fiftieth birthday party yeah. in New York. And just funny about this, like comedy and performing. I had to give a toast, and I thought it was pretty good. And I had been very involved in the organization of the party, and uh, I had been involved in making sure that certain of Eric's friends spoke at the party. Yeah, because Eric wanted that and and we knew he would he deserves that and yeah. we wanted to make me and his wife Rebecca wanted to make that happen but it involved like emails and phone calls oh and securing the right few people and we got them yeah it was like like putting together a comedy night and we got the three top bill yeah performers for Eric in his life yeah and the third one who who really had like almost backed out but I advised on how to make sure he stuck with it um he was amazing. I mean, he knocked it out of the park, not a note in his ha in his hand. And it, he had, he brought the house down and then Rebecca said, I have to pee. So can I go before you? So she goes and she's beautiful and earn and like heartfelt. And now everyone's exhausted because yeah. there's been four speakers. It's getting late and I have to go and I do great. And I do, a, I do fine. Uh, hi guys who were walking by. It's great hey, to see how you. Doing? How was like Disneyland it. today? Oh, that was great. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. Love the cameo. Great job, nailed yeah, it. Yeah, we'll make sure we tag you. Thank you very much. Oh, there you go, a prison break that. reference. Look at that. I got a fan in a podcast. Genuinely, accidentally knew me. Oh man, knew my oeuvre. That's great. I know. Yeah. that's so cute as a couple. Very cute. And anyway, one of the guys who's who's kind of one of Eric's friends of even in a New York sensibility thinks it's funny to like just call it out. Yeah. So I come down from my speech, which went pretty well. I was animated and into it. And he's just like, I mean, how could you know? How could you know this lawyer guy is going to get up there with no notes? I mean, you're a brother and you had notes in your hand and he kills it. I mean, he and then you get up and you're an actor. And yeah, he, he fine, but he stole the night. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, thank you, Richard. Yeah. I really didn't know just how I did. Thank you. Yeah, and of course they have to call you out because you're the famous actor. Right. That's hilarious. Exactly. So, so you had this family, you and your brother, and your and your dad. What is your, I, I never really got to know your mom or see her around. She was sort of like she's always right there. But yeah. my father is so with his bow tie and his suspenders, yeah. larger than life, that uh, she plays the B role. Yeah. And she does it to perfection. Yeah, of course. She's always there, the wind underneath his wings. And she's so classy and beautiful. And she really, you know, while my father knows how to take the stage, my like you right now, my mother knows how to listen. Play tambourine. And to give it. She really is amazing that way. Like, yeah, she yeah. really listens. And those questions like, what's David Hayford's doing right now? <laughs> she has all the answers to those because she cares about... All yeah. the details of life yeah, as yeah. opposed to just chasing the joke. Yeah, that's great. So you were in this family and you were at the dinner table and your dad would make you do 
he would you would do impressions at the dinner table? I knew the whole like wild and crazy guy by Steve Martin. Were you doing for the guests and stuff? Yeah. Was, oh my Mark, God. do Steve Martin. And many people come to me and they say, Hey Steve, how can you be such a swinging sex god? Well, I tell you, it's not because I'm gonna say things a woman likes to hear, like, Are you through yet? <laughs> it's because I know how to read a woman. If she's like a cat, I have the Kitty litter. And if she's like a dog, we do it on the paper. <laughs> and it goes on. And it goes on. That's awesome. <laughs> and then it would be like, do Eddie Murphy. And it would be, uh, I was in a sang, bang, dang, gone, a lot of play bass. I was Agent Orange. That was me. I was Agent Orange. Or, you know, whatever it was. Eddie Murphy, Steve Martin, Billy Crystal, 2,000 year old man with Mel yeah, Brooks yeah, yeah, and yeah. Carl Reiner. And I, and, and I, you know, there, at first I remember in the early days it was so uncomfortable to have to be like, oh, dad, no, no. And then you just inure yourself to yeah, performance. Yeah, yeah. And you're doing it, and uh, oh, you want? Okay, here's yeah, the, yeah. Num- the B number. Yeah. And uh, and so I go into back to that story about burn this. I go into Sarah Colby. This very. Do you remember her? No. no. She directed that play. Matt Roush ended yeah, up yeah. playing Pill. And she's like so demure from Connecticut. And uh, I'm supposed to do that that letter from the gay roommate. And I come in and I'm like, I know who this is. He's cursing a lot. This modern Mozart played by John Matt. Andrew, he's the dice man. <laughs> he's the dice so man. So you did so I go John Malkovich as, as Pale, the dice man. Yeah. Do Pale. I gotta hear it. The character. <laughs> I come in. I go, and she's like this little girl from Connecticut, sitting right there in the chair. And I'm like, "Dear Pale, I can't take it anymore. Living with you has become unmanageable. When you're done reading, burn this. Oh, oh, oh." <laughs> and she's just staring at me. This little girl from kids like, thank, thank, thank you, thank you very much. Really you. Wonder, thank you. And, and that was it. And she, I totally didn't get that part. <laughs> Shocking. And uh, but Louis Anthony Martin was in the. He was her assistant on that. Uh-huh. So he saw me and said, "You might be right for Orphans," and that was the first play I did with Josh Klausner. Yeah, yeah, okay. And I got to play. You know, I, it was great two, part. Yeah, it was Two-hander. two brothers with a father figure. Both, you know, relationships very important to me. Yeah, having brother, a brother and a father who's a very dominant figure, making people laugh, making people cry. Uh, smoked a cigarette on stage in that show. So badass. So man. badass. So cool. And I remember just like standing in the theater, theater on team, where uh-huh. we both worked together and like looking out and just thinking, this is so romantic, so enthralling. It's like it satisfies so many. You know, you talked about like the, the self-loathing. I mean, we all. Ed Zwick wrote an amazing article in the New York Times about how all of us in this business have a void, some void that needs to be yes. filled by. I always say that by the anonymous masses in the dark. Yeah, like or, whether the theater or yes. comedy club. I always say that if you're a comic or an actor. And you act like you're normal. I'm like, who the fuck do you think you're kidding, dude? You you miss a step or two in the Piaget cognitive development staircase yes. if you're doing this shit. That's right. And people are like, I'm just a normal, well-adjusted actor. No, there's something going on. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. And we, guys like us who were at a great university and got a liberal arts education, we're like, we're close to normal, you and I, more than some of the diva crazy people yeah, yeah. in our business. 
but there's still something different. Yeah. And when did you realize that you wanted to be in that? Because obviously you're doing plays in college. That Was there a point where you're like, okay, I'm just doing the plays for fun. It's a hobby. Where did it become a hobby to like, this is what I'm going to do? Or did you always know that's what you wanted to do? I don't... Um I don't think too far ahead. I'm kind of a guy who lives in the moment. And, you know, if things hadn't happened the way they did at Princeton in terms of getting roles that were challenging and uh, so much fun, like Hotspur in Henry IV came right after yeah. doing uh, a treat in Orphans. And then it just uh, kept, it kept happening. I kept getting fun roles, Divorcesaurus, <laughs> with, by the way, our director on that, Rob Melrose, is, is now taking over the Alley Theater in Houston after it was oh, like, nice. destroyed by a hurricane or something, you know, oh, Aunt wow. Marie, I think. It's now like back in action and he's going to be the artistic director. Very cool. Oh, wow. Very cool. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, roles kept coming. I went to, uh, like, yes, it was a hobby, but it was like, oh, I'm going to go to some summer program in Oxford called yeah. uh, Bada. And that was incredible, made all these friends, fell deeper in love with Chekhov. So I, I had proposed this play called Look, Look, which was the sequel to Noises Off by Michael Frayn yeah. to Theater on Team. And they accepted my proposal because it was like very meta. It was Pirandellian. It was yeah, yeah. set in the audience. So an audience is walking into the theater for real yeah, yeah. and an audience is walking onto the stage. Great. And they're like mirroring each other. Anyways, really cool postmodern vibe comedy I get to London. I think I'm going to call the, the, the writer. I'm going to call Michael Frayn. And I get from one of the teachers there, Michael Frayn's agent's number. And I call and I'm like, hi, this is a Mark. I'm, I was wanted to talk to you about this play. Look, look. He goes, oh, yes. That play opened uh, two years ago. It closed a week after it opened. You will not get the rights to it. And you will never direct it. <laughs> or talk to Michael Frayn. Ever. Oh, I was wow. like, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> so then I fell in love with Chekhov. Uh, because this teacher Earl Gister from Yale yeah, was yeah, incredible, yeah. and uh, I just I directed the Cherry Orchard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you also didn't you go to Clown College yes. at some point? Yes, I. Could you tell me a funny story about Clown? I think it was about uh, being a, a washing machine or something. Yeah. Do you remember the story? He, he, um, so you go to Clown College. Where is it? It's in uh, London, in the north of London. And this is right after graduation. Or? He, he is. He, uh, this is. Uh, I got a Fulbright. Uh -huh. To go to London and study for free at Lambda, the London Academy of, of Music and Dramatic Arts. Yeah. Lambda. Lambda. Um, Lambda. It sounds very fancy, but it's like the three-year course is for really serious actors. The one-year course is for like gallivanting yeah, uh, you yeah. know, foreigners like yeah. me. Yeah. But it was great. And while I was there, my I got cocky because I was getting some good roles and doing some good work. And my best friend was from the Conservatoire in Paris, my Ooh. friend Benoit. And he's like, Mark, you think you are so good. Maybe you should study with this guy. And it was this guy named Philippe Gaulier who taught Sasha Baron Cohen for wow. like two years. Sasha studied with him in London. He's, he was a famous clown with some Swiss clown. And he was taught at Le Coq, the movement Le Coq, the very famous in France. school in Paris. And he was sort of an anarchist. So he left in a huff and came to London to teach. And now I'm in this room with like 40 people from around the world. Uh, and he says, hello, welcome to my class. Nice to see you. Uh, okay, I need one student above the class. Hop, 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 one student. So I raise my hand because like, I want to get an A um, in clowning, yeah. <laughs> right? And he's like, hello, hello, Mark. Nice boy, huh? Okay, Mark, you be funny. Is this happening? Yeah, it's fine. Okay. Um, can't hear. I saw it one second. I just don't know if I'm actually... 
by the way, if if my best buddy was backstage trying to screw up my story that I'm excited to tell, he couldn't have done it at a better time. <laughs> right? This is exactly <laughs> like right it. when you're ramping into it. Just fucking take your legs out. Chevy is that? It's, it's, no one's in there. What? Oh, it's a car. a car. Let me just like update the okay, podcast, Sam, because they should be in on this. Yeah. Bill is currently dealing with a. There's a car. A car. It's a Chevy. We right? It's a Chevy, it's a Chevy right next to us. Music. Oh, so you got it off? Yeah, just open the door and shut it. I have a little. Oh, thank you. It, I think they got, just got back in the car. Okay. Um, they have a dead body, and they are putting it in the trunk, and they're off. Okay, good. As good. long as they don't interfere with the podcast. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> this is life or death. So, so you're at the, you're, you're, the, na- the name of the instructor again is what? Uh, Philippe Gaulier. Philippe Gaulier. So and says, so he says, uh, I need one student up on the stage. Hop up. Uh, I, Mark, nice boy. Okay, you be funny. I'm like, what? He's like, no, no, you just be funny. That's all. Hop up. And now I'm in front of like, I don't know, crazy tightrope walkers from Australia, clowns from Germany and Rome, strangers and different languages and all these people. And I'm, I'm up there and I'm like, oh, I'm just out of college. I'm like, uh, ah, what's up, everybody? And he's, he's like, ah, Mark, it's not going so well for you, huh? <laughs> not so good. Okay, I will help you a little bit. You make the sound of a washing machine. Go. And I'm like, what? What? He goes, no, you just washing machine. Go, hop, hop, hop. So, so I'm like, all right. Uh, and I'm like changing the cycle, which is funny to me. Okay. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, buddy. Not to the 40 strangers from all across the world who are standing there staring at me like I'm a science experiment. Yeah. He says, uh, okay, Mark, stop it. Not going so well for you, huh? Not so good. <laughs> yes, I will help you a little bit. Uh, it's horrible. We are looking at you and it's not so funny, huh? We are thinking about the Holocaust and it's quite funny compared to you. You sit down. Whoa. <laughs> how was, far did you go with the washing machine? How long did that go before he stopped you? Was it like you were going for minutes? I was going on for all, like, I was red in the face, <laughs> on the floor, like spin cycle, rinse cycle. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> the, yeah. And he just, and he had this great way about it. Like, there's this uh, thing he would do. He said, okay, Delphine, I think it's time for you to go to the clown hospital because he's not going so well for you. Oh this God. little tight performer from France in the can-can costume. And he says, okay, Delphine, why are you not funny? And this girl has to answer that. You yeah. know? <laughs> like, what a horrible... Yeah, yeah. He says, why are you not funny? Says, I-, I-, I try to do your exercise. I don't know. He says, no, no, you are not funny at all. Why not? <laughs> and this little girl is like... I, I tried to do your aid, but why? And and she just starts sobbing oh in front of God. And she's like, I don't know. I tried to do your exercise. And, and you're not funny, you fat, stupid pig dog. Fuck you, froggy, froggy nightmare. And, and then she, everyone's laughing. We're peeing in our pants. <laughs> we're peeing in our pants. And she's like a puddle, crying, snot everywhere. This little French girl. And, and he says, ah, you are better when you are stupid. You sit down. But he's like wow. breaking you down. Do you feel? Do you feel that was valuable? Do you feel like that actually? Do, do you feel like you took away from that an actual lesson on how to be funny? Uh, here's one last story, and then I'll be done yeah, with yeah. him. 
he, you would, you would get up there, you would try so hard to be funny, and then he, in the, at the end of it, he would say, "Okay, Mark, <laughs> sit down," and you'd be like, "Ah, fuck it," and people would laugh <laughs> when you're like, "Ah, fuck it," yeah, 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 right, because yeah. you're like finally free. Yes. And he would say, "Ah, you are better when you are leaving." So if you enter as if you are leaving, is good for you. Wow, that's interesting. I think because this, this obviously applies to stand up as well. Yeah. You know, like there's a lot of, uh, I did did a show last night and I followed Ari Spears who did like, you know, it was supposed to be 20 minutes, it was 30 minutes. Uh, Just like, and just like hardcore, like impressions and Jay-Z and all this stuff and killing it and Ray stuff. And, and I was like, okay, now I'm going to, I have to go up right after him. And if I went up there after him and I was like, hey, 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 you know, and I try to like, whatever, impart to them some idea of, of who I was, I, I, I think it would fail. And Do you I think mean people, in, in, in the way that Aries had done himself? Well, just if I, if I went up you? there, I, I think as a standpoint I've learning is that sometimes I used to come on, particularly when I do chocolate Sundays, I would come on just like energy. I would be break dancing. I'd be like, you know, doing body height moves on stage to get like the crowd going. And sometimes it would work. But then at the end of the day, it's just you up there on stage having to be you. Oh, so if you go up there so and you're deep. being like two blah, 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 yeah. and then all of a sudden, okay, that's over. Now you're you. Are you going to maintain the goofy like white chitlin circuit move for the, for the next 15 minutes? Right. Because if you are, good luck with that. So I've been learning that like going on stage is obviously about vulnerability, which is probably what this guy was trying yes, to teach. It's like if, if you're vulnerable also, when you're leaving. If you're, if you're trying too hard to be perfect, to nail yeah. it, which I'm always trying to do in, in every aspect of my life. Yeah. Uh, perfection, being a good boy, which I am, because my other older brother was the yeah. one to have all the emotions and I was just going to be good. Yeah. Um, then you're going to be too attached to yeah. the result yeah. instead of just loving every unpredictable second of the process yeah now i wanted to ask you about uh sitcom acting versus sort of i don't know what if there is a difference between sitcom acting and like dramatic because one of the things i've known about you and again by any metric in the world you you've made it thank you you're 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 famous you're a star people walk by randomly in the in the yard and they're like hey i love you on this thing thank you so you probably get i mean every week you probably get stopped by some people who go hey when you're around or whatever if you ever leave your your mansion up in the hills (laughs) (laughs) the grubhub guy who comes by to deliver your food right so anyway so um what is this grubhub you speak but is there is there something that you i i also know that you take it very seriously you take the craft very seriously and i know that there's a part of you that wants to be regarded as a quote-unquote dramatic actor mm. and and have you felt that that has been uh, frustrated or, or do you f- kind of go well maybe that's not what I need to do because there are some actors who kind of they're, they're comic like look at Jim Carrey right he could have just wrote on being and he was like no I want to do 23 and I want to do man on the moon and then everyone was like you're a fucking asshole Did but you uh, watch Jimmy and Andy oh that was so good. It was so good. But by the way, so make sure I will make sure I'm gonna hold it up closer. Oh, sorry, I don't like sorry. Sure. Yeah. But uh, it was so good. But at, at the end of the day, it was really about he was an impossible fucking asshole on set. And they tried to like cloak it in this like, but he was method acting. No, by everyone, by every count, you were a fucking asshole. You almost submarine the show. So it's kind of like, was it a good enough performance to justify that? No. No. I mean, I watched the movie, and the answer is, is no, yeah. but the the actual work of art that is Jimmy and Andy yes. is incredible. It is incredible. Like, 
at one point, Jim Carrey was saying you should use this footage for the movie. Yeah. And I think that would have been a better movie. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they had taken the the weird, real-feeling DNA of that reality show movie performance. Yeah. Andy Steinberg right there. Andy Mark Steinberg. Fo- Mark Forsey. I'm introducing the juice. Sorry. Hi, Andy. Are you a stand-up? Yes. Nice to meet nice you. Thank you guys very much. Enjoy your podcast. Thank you, Andy. Sorry. See you later, man. Thanks again. No, of course. No, it's okay. That's, You're that's... the... the the, the Jewish cameo. Yeah. We needed one of those. That's part of the charm of the podcast. We almost have a minion. Well, not really. Yeah. Love it. Or yeah. Amish. Either way. Yeah. Hey, he didn't say he loved your work in anything. So, hey, maybe you're not as famous no. as I think you are. No, he's a big Ralph and Morty guy. <laughs> <laughs> Rick right, Morty. right? <laughs> no, that's the Jewish version. It's in Israel right now. Yeah, the same people who did Homeland do Ralph and Morty. It's wonderful. Yeah. So, <laughs> Keshet. Keshet. Great yeah. working with So, him. does that, does the idea of method acting, I guess for lack of a better word, method acting, does that entice you? Is that something you go, man, I would love to like, lose 30 pounds, do a Holocaust movie and just be like, or is that, is that you? Does that feel like gilding the lily or a little bit pretentious? Oh God. There was so much along the way to that question that I wanted to stop oh, and yeah, talk do it, about, do it. but I don't remember any of it. So, um, we'll just get <laughs> well, right. We were talking about, we were talking about like you, you, as a sitcom actor, oh, yeah, you've, yeah, yeah. you've had tremendous success, obviously. And, and I feel like every, you know, we, and we've talked about this too in the past. There's, you never really land in this business. Like some people can go, oh, they're a regular at the Laugh Factory. They've made it. Or right. they have AT&T commercials. They've made it. Or they have a sitcom. They've made it. They've won an Oscar. They've made it. But they they're savings account. They've they have a savings right. account. They've made it. Oh, someone's got some weed. This is... I would have expected nothing less from this house <laughs> and you people. And I'm very impressed. Well done. Do you know Mark from anything other than Prison Break? I'll That's take good, it, man. Bill. Prison break. I'll no, I, I, just, I mean head. that in like a, in a good that way. Was great. Well, no, it's you made my night. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> that guy's evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Evil. Yeah, I didn't see him That's prison break, best. Mark. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's okay. It was like the 17th season, and it had already fallen off by a lot <laughs> in the th- three and four. But that was like a dramatic role then, right? No, it was great because uh, having just come off of Royal Pains, I got to play like a seemingly nice husband type. Who ends up being Poseidon, the god of war, killing Michael Schofield and trying yeah. to keep him down. And so it was really fun. And yeah. uh, and the actress Sarah Wayne Callies, who I got to work with, was awesome. And Wentworth Miller, who went to Princeton, who I got to be reunited yeah, yeah. with, was very cool. I mean, he's a very like, thoughtful, deep guy. Yeah. And I really enjoyed getting to know him a little more because yeah. he was always like just that Got that wit, that tiger tone in the corner yeah, at yeah. Ivy. But <laughs> anyway, um, the thing I was thinking about in your question, there were, you know, I'll, I'll get to the acting method thing in a sec, but you know, perception, like we could keep going back to that and how we perceive ourselves and when we've landed or made it versus how we actually view our careers and ourselves every fucking day. Yeah. We have to live in this brain with some idea of what it is that we are when no one gives a shit and everybody's only worrying about themselves. Yes. Which is always a great comfort. It is a great comfort. But um, recently I was talking to a writer from Royal Pains who was pitching a show to FX. He sold it and he was writing it and well, there was actually a debate about whether you could go to FX or like Lifetime. And he chose FX because 
like the people he was producing with, who was a woman who'd been at CBS for many years, um, they were laundering their image in a way to go edgier, to go to that next level, right? Yeah. FX, HBO, Showtime, Netflix. You know, just to be, yeah, it's legal, mom. That's a, that's a, thank you. Thank you. Really, Sam? Nerd. Right, Mark? High five. Anyway. Just before the coughing starts. <laughs> so, anyway, like they were both trying to launder their image by being FX cool, you know? And so you talk about like dramatic acting. On the one hand, I feel like I've gotten to be in a movie Defiance with Ed Zwick mm -hmm. and Daniel Craig as a Jew Holocaust in the movie, yeah, Holocaust movie. And I got to I got to be the lead of a drama, technically a drama, but a light light ass drama on the USA network. So there's always what, levels. what was that? What was that drama? USA uh Royal Pains. Oh okay. Well I yeah I, I consider that sort of yeah that was it that was a drama. It's called it also... a drama, but yeah, yeah. it's like very light fare. Yeah. So you never fully get any street cred for doing a show like that. Sure. But at the same time they're writing romance, drama, uh funny people are dying. Um and yes, people are dying. And yeah. they look uh, very attractive by While the they're beach. Dying. <laughs> yes, they're uh, the most appealing and light fair deaths yeah. on TV. But uh, you know what you're perceived at, and and, and uh, yeah, sorry, sorry. So well, I, I think part of it had to do with the fact that a lot of people think like think about acting like, and this goes to comedy as well. There's you, and then there's the persona, right? And some people. They have a persona on stage that isn't who they really are. And some people have the per – like I think who you are in your sitcoms as a testament to you and your acting is is pretty much you. Like mm -hmm. it's a, it's exaggerated version of you, but it, it but your energy – you don't do your part and all of a sudden it's – what the fuck just happened to Mark? It's like Mark and more, which is a person who, who's very likable, everyone likes, and it's part of the reason why you're a leading man in, in all these shows. But do you ever think about the uh, – do you ever think about the idea of like disappearing into something in, in, in a weird Jim Carrey-esque way that, that intrigues you? Is that something that you would, is there a project where you go, man, I would do, like I would gain 30 pounds and shave my head and for this role, like Heath Ledger and the Joker or something like that. Or does it interest you? Because I know a lot of people think it's like Joe Rogan's the first person going, I think it's all fucking bullshit. Right. But does that interest you in terms of being an actor? Hell yeah. Oh my God. I would love it if I were taken that seriously as to have a role like Dick Cheney yeah. in, in Christian Bale in Vice. I mean, the guy thinks so specifically about his role. He worked his neck out for, um, for months to strengthen his neck because he felt that Dick Cheney's strength was captured in his neck. Like wow. that's so specific. Yeah, yeah. And I go to this teacher, Kim Gillingham, who works with the unconscious and dreams and keep photo diaries of all to have that cathartic experience, which we have in her class yeah. as we hold our five-year-old selves and take a gift from them and, talk yeah. and tell them the thing that we have wanted to tell our whole <laughs> lives. And you have these, I want to dig so deep and and yet when you talk about my sitcom acting and thank you for saying what you said i always feel like it's not mark and then i feel like it's a fraction of mark yeah a fraction 
and I have like a few colors that I paint with and that's what I can do in a sitcom and they haven't gone so well in any particular one of them though they've been on the air and lasted a full season or more which is very successful anyway yeah, which is very I mean, which is on. great and by the way let's not undersell you've had I mean several seasons of several sitcoms right uh, Good Morning Miami went more than one season yeah um uh, the others, not so much. What was it with Leah Remini? I was, that was... I was on Caroline in the City, which was a, a long-running hit. Oh, I, Leah and I did Fired Up. Yes, that had a year and a half. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. Very good, dude. You All know my right. career better than I do. <laughs> um, but th- the thing I wanted to say about that show, I want to say two things that I want to share from everything. Um, one was this thing about um, when you're making a sitcom, this is totally random, not necessarily connected, but I was talking about it earlier today and I really think it's funny. Um, On tape nights, you have a full studio audience, right? But then there are these pre-shoot scenes, scenes you shoot prior and they play them for the audience. Yes. But because you need laughs in a sitcom to sort of mark where they come, they have these people who they bring in who are not a part of a live tape night, but there's like 20 people who are standard laughers they're yeah. laughers yeah. coming in with no other audience just 20 people who are hired to laugh for your scenes that you're shooting and then they also have like the people that hype them up like the usually they're comics i mean yeah but the, the comics only do the tape night they don't have a comic for these 20 people they tape it beforehand, the laughs? They are there for the laughter on the days when it's just the whole day they're there for scenes you're pre-shooting. That is very weird, and I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, for example, if it's an outdoor scene, yeah, you, you obviously can't yeah. have that in the live studio audience, yeah, I, right? I, wow, that's crazy. No, but that's where I you you, you wouldn't have laughter, like, on, an, on a location well, when I did when I did Kevin Can Wait, my scene, you know... Uh, it was I, an Aaron Kaplan show, I think. Yeah, well, Leah was in that too. Leah, anyway. So, uh, yeah, it was CBS and, and anyway. Okay. So, um, and it's not running. No more residuals. So, uh, I guess uh, <laughs> CBS could wait. But, but, but they did. I did my scene in front of the producer. You know how it is. You do sitcom. I did in front of the producers and the script, and they're all laughing. I'm doing like an Australian accent, and they're all like, "Ah, it's so great!" Like high five me. Tape night. So they're doing all the live scenes with Kevin James, who's very gregarious and charming, make everyone in the audience laugh, and they have my taped scene. Fucking crickets. Like nobody's laughing. And I'm going like, I was sold a false bill of goods by these producers who were laughing at every goddamn thing I said. And ultimately it was like it because it was also like you have a live show and then the tape thing on the TV is but never going to be as funny. About that is you're like you're you're blaming the producers who like <laughs> and yet the audience is reacting how it's reacting, but sometimes that that, that uh, stuff is not that funny. Yeah, yeah. But these laugher people are hired to just laugh, laugh. at whatever at right, it is at the right time. Though I've really never heard of that before, and I'm so happy. But here's the here's that. the here's so the weird. that's a funny little like documentary we can make about the laugher people. Yeah, but I would worry that they wouldn't get the new joke that was written. Oh. so I would sneak over to the laughers and go, okay, so just a few new new lines. There's this one, yeah, it's pretty funny. And then there's this one. And so it'd be great if we got a little something on that. And then there's this line. And if you could just come in nice. I think it's funny. So that'd be great. So this is our 9JKL. 9JKL. And then I run back to set. How sad is that? (laughs) 
I mean, but look, I get so anxious about it not like them not hearing it correctly. And of course, of course, they get in a rote thing where they're just like a computer. So I'm basically <laughs> telling the computer like, oh, when you keep repeating that laugh, do it on this one, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway, no, that's, that's great. Random. It, I mean, I'm, I can't imagine you're the, the only person who does that in those shows. Now, in thinking about this show, that would be my Louie. Right. It's like that. I want to show that. And then I want the guy in the laughers who goes. Why would I laugh at that? I'm like, no, because it's the line I want you to laugh at. Yeah, yeah. Right, but it's not funny. Like, there's literally nothing funny. No, but you just, that's what you do. You're just going to laugh at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, and then you're just like, go fuck yourself. Oh, man, I love that. I love the idea that you did it. You did a show about your family. So it's already like metatheatrical. And then your new show about making the show about yes. your family. It's like yes. Inception comedy. That is what it would be. And, um, the thing is, I was going to say earlier to answer the question from 700 years ago, <laughs> is you asked like about 9JKL and I wanted it to be my Louie or my Better Things, which is a show I recently did with Pam Adlon, who's fucking amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And uh, it word. ended up, it ended up, what'd you say? Uh, I said putting a word. I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> um, sure. I will. <laughs> Next time I talk to her, which will be never. Because she, uh, I was lucky to get the one text back. I took it and ran. Um, but, uh, I want it to be that kind of where we could capture this night of this yeah. podcast and a funny, awkward moment and how great it is to see you. And then the parking and the guy and the sound and whatever. Um, but it quickly became that my wife was going to join in and, and her, uh, producing partner, Aaron Kaplan reminded my manager, like, there's that, what about that show with the three apartments next to each other? And Dana was like, I think I would do it. And I'm like, okay, cool. We're going to write a show together. And it just kind of happened because we, it all seemed like it could sell. Yeah. And yeah. then with my personal stories of my life and my wife, very legitimate showrunner attached, it sold to three out of the four networks we pitched oh, wow. to. And then suddenly you're like, I'm at CBS and this could run for a while and be yeah. a great job. And you, you don't think about like, oh, it's a sitcom because when you're thinking about, of course, um, you're lo you, getting it sold and all that, but then suddenly it's a sitcom and you're in a writer's room and your life that you wanted to share and all is not so great because they have to write a fucking show by nine o'clock tonight so they can get home to their kids yeah. that has like teeth and an A and a B and a C plot yeah. and a, and a through line. And it becomes not your Louis and not yeah. your better things. It becomes a sitcom on CBS. Of course. Through you know, your family's life. And it went really well. Like we I was proud of it. And it was better and not embarrassing, but it wasn't my of truth course. and yeah. the thing I wanna share about telling laughers that they need to laugh <laughs> on this joke, yeah. even though no one gets the joke. Was there was there a moment on set where there's something that you that you fought for or you really want you're like, I need this moment of my life? on this show and it just, it couldn't happen or you met resistance about it. Is there something that you wanted to express well, that was frustrated? Like I, this is, see this, I bring this up and then it comes back to me as a joke, but like I'm aware of the other actors like the Jeremy Pivens of the world or Paul Rudd's of the world who you feel competitive with, but are, you're also jealous of. And so we had this thing where I had a stalker played by Sherry O'Terry and she stopped and she's, I find her in New York and she's not stalking me anymore because she found somebody else who's like yeah. more successful. And I'm like, why aren't you? Like, what happened? Like, why aren't you? Why yeah, is this yeah, still yeah. going on? Yeah, that's, that's great. so Seinfeld. Right. And then yeah. we, and then we, uh, 
I forgot what happened. She's like, I didn't like your last series that much. Right, yeah, exactly. And then finally I get her to stalk me again. And then I'm running from her, but I'm like, psych. <laughs> and that shit of like when I'm saying, you know, I mean, I have a scene where I'm like, I mean, Paul Rudd, yes, I get it. But, or, or Jason Bateman, sure, him you stalk. But Josh... <laughs> Pud this <laughs> like and it's about the guy Kent something whatever yeah. and it was just funny to me that they got my hierarchical yeah, yeah, competitive yeah. Hollywood bullshit in the show yeah. that was satisfying or yeah. there was a thing about my brother and my at his wedding while my father was about like like 25 minutes into his toast my brother was like hey all right we're good and cut my father off, and we put that in the show in a story. Which, if it, they didn't get it from the show, is now they're now going to get it from this podcast. <laughs> but uh, it was like a truth that yeah. came out through the show, yeah. and that's very satisfying. Absolutely, in a totally narcissistic, but also like you love your stories and you want them to get out. Yeah, yeah, kind of way. Yeah. Now, are you actively in the process of trying to do this other iteration yes. of your life? I, you are. I would like to begin the process. I would like to begin the process, but it. it it hasn't, uh, oh, no, that's okay. I'm good. Um, I would so love to do that. Yeah. But, you know, like I'm talking to Pam Adlon about it. It's like, uh, single, I mean, like young, like middle-aged white guy right now. I don't know, buddy. Yeah, yeah. We just hit the jackpot, you know, she said, with hers because it was right at the time when um, yeah. a combination of things were happening socially, culturally that led to a single mom mm -hmm. really dealing with her family Yeah, uh, was something people really wanted to see. Yeah. And I don't know that my Ajita from like Gary <laughs> Shandling through Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David yeah. is, or Louis C.K. is necessarily of day... De la mode, yeah, yeah. de la mode. Right do, now. do you feel? Do you feel like it, it has it has really changed, or do you feel that that's maybe? A, do you think it's a temporary thing that's happening right now? That because I know I hate it when comics talk about like, oh man, it's so hard to be a white male comic. Because I'm also kind of like, well, those most of the jobs in comedy are given to white male comics, most right. stand-up jobs. So, so it's a hard thing to complain about. And also, it's you know, if you're undeniable, it doesn't really matter. But do you feel that the business has really changed in the sense that? As a as a, a white man trying to get something done, they're like, "Well, your story's kind of been told, so we're going to go with this more disenfranchised group in their story." Well, I mean, yeah. although as a Jewish guy, I mean that that's still you know, that's a disenfranchised minority in a lot of ways that people tend to shirk off and think, "Nah, it's not I'm, disenfranchised I'm, enough." I'm not about to go okay yeah, uh, looking for the uh, the sympathy of. White guilt. You haven't helped us <laughs> Jews who've been running banks in Hollywood for 700 years. Um, but uh, no, I mean, granted, our, our people, I'm very proud to be a Jew and very resilient and come yeah. to a new place and fucking run shit. Nothing wrong with that. Love my people. Very proud. Uh, but I'm sorry, I lost the thread. <laughs> lost the thread. <laughs> Where were we? We, we were talking about the fact that uh, the the business had changed, so that more it's oh, right. more yes. about representing populations that haven't been represented before. And that, do you think that's sort of like the, the mandate for Hollywood right now, or do you think that's just kind of like a passing perception? Like, if you, if you're a white guy looking for like I I, I had a um, show that I was shopping around called uh, I Met My Daughter on Facebook. I don't know if I ever showed you did. It. I, I love that idea. So. Um, 
and I actually wrote the whole script, had treatment, and people were interested. And then I realized as they were passing, I'm like, this is pretty white bread. Like nobody's. So then I kind of like shoehorned my daughter into being like biracial. Right. Which actually I thought was interesting in terms of like paternity and knowing if it's your kid or not. Right. Um, but it also felt a little bit like as I'd go to the like Ben Stiller's company, I'm like, and she's half black. Right. What do you think? You know, and I kind of felt like maybe that's sort of the trend right now where you have to kind of like someone's got to be transsexual, transgender. You know. 100%. And it's just a very unique time. I, I'm writing a show with a partner for YouTube right now about pro wrestling in the 90s. And it's really fun. It's a crazy world. And we'll see where it goes, if anywhere. Um, but. When you're writing like a scene from 1994 and an 18-year-old turns to like my long-lost son turns to me and I'm like, hey, how'd the match go? Touching him. He's like, get the fuck off me and says something like, you, you fucking F-A-G-G-O-T. Yes. Yeah. And I, you know, it's not necessarily kosh through the notes process to include that word. Of course. Even though in Even 1994, though was... an 18-year-old is going to use that word. Oh, man. But, That's but so interesting, yes. It's not real, but I, I get the point of view that says, why keep that word alive? Yeah. Why Why? Why just reinforce that word? I get word that. I get that. If you could use another one. Now, granted, there isn't actually a word as powerful dramatically as that because it doesn't pack as much of a punch, well, but the punch comes with a punch. Yeah. When I did, did you see Bronx Bombers on Broadway? I did not get to see that. Neither did anyone else. Oh, anyway, nice. uh, nailed that. But uh, there was a, there was a line uh, in it where Yogi. It was a true line that Yogi Berra said about Reggie Jackson, and Yogi Berra, the, the skipper of, of, of the Yanks. He said, uh, famous catcher. He said, uh, Reggie Jackson. He's the whitest black guy I ever met, and it would get a huge laugh. And Christopher Jackson, who is, you know, now blown up after Hamilton, um, and he's on Bull right now, great actor, great singer, he he took exception to the line. And I'm like, this is 1978. This was, when he said that, there was no weirdness about it. People weren't, oh, it was kind of like, ah, oh, that's funny. Yeah, he is a very white-sounding black guy. And they removed the line because it was, I guess to use the word, problematic. What was it in? It was in the play Bronx Bombers. Okay, got it. He goes, uh, Reggie Jackson is the whitest black I ever knew, which is, if you ever knew Reggie Jackson, it's it's an apt description of him. And Reggie Jackson is this big, hulking black guy who wore glasses and talked like this, had like a nasal way of talking, and yep. people would make fun of it. So the f And it was a line that got a big laugh. And the fact that we removed it, 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 it hurt my soul. It made me think... You know, really, do, do we need to do we need to please everybody? Right. We we can't address the fact, and also like you know, when I played Mickey Mantle the role, Mickey Mantle was a fucking pig. He did drugs. He cheated. He got syphilis, and like, God forbid, we mention mention that. So none of that comes out in the play. None of that comes out in the play. So you're just like this perfect so American hero in the theater that couldn't come out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, maybe that's that, that wasn't. Oh, there was a line I said in the play where I go, um, and they cut this. I go. He goes, hey, man, I had a hole in my thigh from, because he had a hole in his thigh from syphilis. Was why he had a drop out of the home run race with Roger Maris. He goes, I had a hole in my, he goes, well, I don't want to say where it's from, but let me just say this. I led the league in the clap four years in a row. And people would laugh. I go, hey, my wife came in second. He actually said that. That is a quote from Mickey Mantle. It was an authentic quote. It says everything. He has a sense of humor, even about losing the home run race and dropping out, about STDs. 
He talks, he mentions he's a philanderer in that line. It like it encapsulates so much of who he was as a human being. And they fucking cut it. Because it was, uh, it was somehow offensive to women or, uh, and I just feel like, and there's a thing going on right now, like look, they're looking at old 80s comedies and they're saying, whoa, they're problematic. No, they were just written in the fucking 80s. So now you're doing a show about wrestling in the 90s. Obviously, that's going to be an issue because the sensibility is very different than the yes. 90s. Yes. So that must uh, we be- We have even a moment where my wife, who would be African-American- yeah, maybe wouldn't be in the real story of the yes. history, but is in the show. Yes, and would be great. Yes, um, but uh, she's watching as a character is wrestling for one of the two promotions in the show, and the character's name is Uga Booga, and it's a total stereotype, of course. Which and she wrestling is, was, but she, when she's watching it as she goes to bed, is going to be like, "Oh, good night," and like offended by it yeah which is our way of seeing what it was through the lens of 2018 yeah because if someone who we're going to like can judge some of the behavior at that time then we'll feel comfortable of course Though they might not of have course, had that take on it at the time so if you, if you have that one person who can be like the lens through which they then exactly. that's then you can get away with saying some stuff that's yeah. more accurate to the to the period i'm sure yeah that's really cool so this is in the pro are you allowed to talk about it is this something that you're um, about to do it's or? something we're writing we're like in the first draft uh yeah. to hand into we're doing it with blumhouse uh -huh. which is they're great they're giving giving us a lot of notes we have i'll be working for five hours tomorrow just trying to process with my writing partner the notes yeah uh, but you were talking about the theater and it, it made me think like when you back to your question about wanting to do more dramatic stuff i i was so excited to do something with williamstown theater festival even though yeah. no one in our business could really care yeah, yeah. film-wise. Oh, will you, like, it's in the Berkshire, okay. Yeah. Or my manager even is like, uh, I mean, you're going to go Williams where? Time? But we, from I mean, I, from growing up, you know, doing theater in New York, know what a well-reputed theater it is. And so I did a reading this summer. I did a reading in New York over Thanksgiving. And we're going to do a full production for a month this coming summer. Nice. And I am so excited to get to like sink my teeth into like a dramatic role where, yeah. you know, my father was even a little depressed by the subject matter. It's parents. It's a guy who's dealing with being more of a house husband yeah. and the issues around that. Yeah. Um, but their child is diagnosed with sensory integration issues mm -hmm. um, on the spectrum, so to speak, but how we talk about that and the embarrassment of that when it's your kid's not going to be everything you dreamed they were going to be. And, yeah. and then the parents and it's just like my father's a little depressed because it was so real, so much real shit. Yeah. But like um, the writing is so good. This writer, Sharon Rothstein. And I, I get to like look forward to, you know, July where I get to be on stage again doing a dramatic role, very true to life, which yeah, yeah. is not like I, I don't have the experience of losing weight or gaining weight and playing talking with an accent and doing some <laughs> crazy character. I would love that. It just, yeah. whether the I'm, industry I'm that actor is, who plays is, versions of himself instead yeah. of which, diving into a character, which I was able to do in Defiance, but like it doesn't come around for me as much. Yeah, yeah. And maybe if I did stretch myself a little more, like I did the first professional gig I did was at the Hartford Stage Company with Michael Stuhlbarg. Yeah. And I remember watching him. 
Prepare from Juilliard. And like Michael Hayden was from Juilliard with him and he was great too. He was playing the lead in this Jewish play. What he was doing playing a Jew is beyond me. Michael Hayden, this hulking white bread guy is like davening in the rehearsal hall. I'm like, that's me. What, 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 what are we talking about here? Yes, he did Carousel. He was great. No singing here. I'm the guy. Anyway, <laughs> but I don't get competitive. I don't care. We, you and I, yes, we, fine. we let it roll off our backs. Yeah. Um, but Michael Stuhlbarg, just watching him prepare, and it was just a different level. And it wasn't, you know, you could say it's Juilliard, but not everybody who went to Juilliard keeps that level of care. And yeah. me and the actress in it and another guy who ended up becoming a writer, really talented writer from NYU, um, you know, we were like, partying or drinking and laughing and doing imitations of the choreographer. But Michael Stuhlbarg was in his room fucking going over the meter of that angel every night. Yeah. And he was amazing. I mean, he was electrifying. He's just an incredible actor. Yeah. And I could say like, um, no, it's cause he's, he gets those parts cause he's what? He's the same as me. We're both like John yeah, 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 Jews yeah. guys, yeah. but he has, he just, can he can step into a role and I would kill to do some of that work. Yeah. But it's, I've gone down the path that I've gone. Yeah. But, and which brings up the question, why, why would you kill to be in that type of role? Like if you're, if you're so successful doing what you're doing, what about that? Well, that's just, just the it's pinnacle just like the of idea. transformation. So do you feel acting. like that's what we're doing as, as actors is we're I trying mean, to I, reach I, the pinnacle of transformation? I would not deny the, an accusation to me. Like you just playing different versions of yourself. Yeah. When you're a tough guy, you're the tough guy version of Mark Feuerstein. When you're the like goofy, sweet guy or the you know great doctor on Royal, they're like versions of Mark. And if you said that to me, I'd be like, uh, "You're not totally wrong." I try to like dive into a role. But and why carry. is that a bad thing? I, I guess think that's most of television too. No, I know, but there's this. If you talk about Daniel Day Lewis, it's not versions of Danny. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's like a guy but, immersed so that, that in a role. You, so is that to you? I guess the question is, yeah. Sorry, Dan. What were you gonna say? Oh, I was just gonna say like television versus film and stuff. Yeah, it, is that what you think the pinnacle of acting? I think there was a, a point in my life where I thought that was maybe, and then I thought that's kind of maybe that's stupid. <laughs> maybe that's like my own childhood trauma speaking out. Cause I don't know if that is necessarily the pinnacle. Like if you can be the, the best, the best Mark Forresting version of Mark Forresting and you go up and you make people happy and they go, I love this guy and I relate to and he's likable. No, I, what? it comes from theater though. Cause I feel like when you go through like theater and all that training, like they teach you Kind of like yeah, the art of serious. transformation. Yeah, they, they, they try to make every te act, acting teacher wants you to fucking cry in class. Exactly. And that's a breakthrough. Exactly. No, but like if I got to, if I, if I got to talk like this and do like a Mike Lee film where I'm like yeah. Cockney accent, you know, dressed threadbare, like begging on the streets of London. And you could kill that. I, I'm so psyched because I'm doing this different thing and I'm, and I'm transforming myself. And you're buying me as that David Thewlis and naked guy, it, which yeah. is so genius. Um, that's why you got into it. And you're right. The theater is where we do accents and we yeah. play. And I love that. Do you, do you ever think like sometimes because you, you made me think of Tom Hardy and you might get a little bit of comparison to Tom Hardy sometimes every I once in a while maybe. Yeah. I love it. So like he he's a perfect example of someone who lived a very tough life. I mean, he would talk about the fact that he would like suck dick for heroin. Oh shit! Sorry, it's my family. Oh, someone's. Is it Harvey? Can we put him on? Can we put him on? Can we put him on speaker? Sure. You have to. Sure. This is Harvey for you. Dad. 
Mark, darling, how are you? I'm great. I want to share with you that while we're talking, you're also just being put on a microphone because I'm doing a podcast with Bill Dawes. And so we're getting a little taste of Harvey Feuerstein in the middle of our podcast. Wonderful. How nice. How you, Bill Dawes? How you doing, Harvey? So good. We Mr. Forrestine, I'm sorry. Bill, De- I'll never forget <laughs> that you drove Mark's Subaru. <laughs> Dad, you came in so on cue. We've already talked about it and how you repeat that story. And it's so perfect that you said that. You yeah. nailed it. I, I nailed it. Anyway, I, I don't want to interrupt you. We, I just wanted you to know that mommy and I just got home. And got got home. Got to the hotel. Okay, we, and you're going out to dinner with Eddie uh, tonight? No, they, we we canceled Eddie, and we're going to Nate Now's right now. Perfect. Enjoy a great sandwich. Okay. I'm working tomorrow from nine thirty to two thirty, and then we'll check right. in somewhere okay. in there. Okay. Yeah. Goodbye, Bill. Nice to talk with you. Good to talk to you, Mr. Forrest. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 All right. Bye. 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 Hey, bye. That was fucking great. <laughs> By the way, I have to go in like five minutes. Oh, no. Of course. Of course. Just because my for a wife while. is watching a screener with her parents and she said, be home by 830. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. But this is so fun. Yeah, what were we just talking about before Harvey called? Oh, we, I, th- I said Tom Hardy. Oh, like Tom Hardy, like he had like, do you ever think like, man, my life has been too good to be a great actor? Is that ever something that crosses your mind? Because you look like Tom Hardy, he's like, yeah, I would suck dick for heroin. You're like, wow, no wonder you're so good in Venom. Um, nice. Nice <laughs> reference. He is so good. Yeah. And I would kill to, But do you, you think know? that's part of it? Do you think, because you, I mean, I don't want to say you've had like a charmed life, but like, just the conversation with your dad alone is amazing. You have amazing I, and, and parents. You know I love that you appreciate that. Because honestly, like in standard guy friends fair, no one, no guy I know other than you would say, see, isn't that amazing? The love, like you're, you're actually acknowledging the sweetness between a father and a son, yeah. which to some of my friends taken for granted or just don't acknowledge it. But you actually didn't maybe have that kind of dynamic with your dad. Well, well you also if we were 29, I'd be like, you faggot. But you know, you right. get older, you realize, right. man, that's like the most you know, what's more important? I mean, I, you know, my dad is like a, yeah, that was like the sweetest thing ever. I know. Like Aww. my dad's like a, 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 a Republican. He's like a Tucker Carlson fanatic and Bill O'Reilly and all this stuff. And I was like, uh, uh, uh. And then I just kind of like let all that shit go. I was like, let me just like be friends with David Dawes. And he's the fucking most awesome person I've ever known. And as I get older, that relationship is so much more important. When I was a kid, where I was like, leave me alone, dad, you fucking climate denier. Right. I know. And you realize how your parents would do anything for you. And I think about all, I, I get to, it's like kids m- make you pay for all the petty moments <laughs> of your life because you watch them play out in real time every year. Yeah. And I see my so kids true. competing and not really caring how my daughter Lila, who was just in the hospital with a oh, blood boy. infection for four days. Yikes. And you see them like, ah, you know, and you're like, oh, it's so callous, but it's yeah. it's what you feel. And yet I know there's so much love there. Yeah. And then I'm and then I'm lying on my daughter's bed for say eight hours, which is she has nothing to do. She's so bored that she wants to go to Ojai with her family, but she's in the hospital these last four days. And I'm just lying sideways on the bed staring at her for eight hours straight. And it's just like, up oh, here we are. And I could do it forever. We took an MRI together where the sound, I just listened outside the MRI 
and we shared that even though I didn't really have to be in there, but it was like this brilliant meditation because it was so horrible. And then you appreciate like all the time when it's just quiet and not an MRI sound. Yeah. And, uh, she's like this amazing girl. And I love that. I get to like share this time with her. Um, but you see all these and, and I, and she's so soulful and I, I just, I worship her in some way because yeah. she's just so much, so honest and true and pure. Uh, but then there are all these moments at where your kids show you exactly <laughs> what you were. And I think about my parents like, yeah. oh, they were just what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. They were just this. And I gave them such a hard time and I made them so big. But they would do anything for me, yeah. just like I would do anything for them. Anything I held and against them, I'm an asshole. It. Yeah. Oh, you didn't give me any. You were just making, like, plugging holes. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And thank you. I'm so lucky I had those parents. Yeah. Yeah. Who who would do anything. Yeah. Just I, like I would. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why being a grandparent is probably, like, the, the most satisfying thing in the world. Because you get to see your kids realize... Realize that. I think when you become a grandparent, right. your yeah. children then it's go, like, oh, oh, shit, I have kids. So... Oh, dad, I get it. Right. I'm sorry. But I go right to the parent giving the kid guilt going, yeah, not so easy, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, the 20 years you were a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. great. That's awesome. Um, so what, what, what are your big plans coming up? What do you have? What's, what's like immediate plans and what's pie in the sky plans for you? So immediate plans, writing the show for YouTube. If they make a pilot, I'd be thrilled. It'd be so cool to create this wacky world and get to play a lead role in it. Um, doing this play at Williamstown next uh, summer, please come on by the Williamstown Theater in it's July. Um, and uh, I did an episode of Better Things coming out, did a, a Law & Order SVU, which was oh, very nice. fun. It's fun to hear actors who have like the cushiest jobs in the world complain a little bit. And then you're like, go fuck yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they were great. And I loved yeah. working with all of them. Um, but the fantasy would be that Louis, better things, honest, curb your enthusiasm. No laugh track, no studio audience. It's no, kind of like... Maybe one laugher who I'm like, listen, I don't know what any of this is that I wrote. So if you could just <laughs> give me a little chuckle from behind the hedge. Yeah, yeah. Well, because a lot of people thought that Louis, like, oh, Louis great show. Not a comedy. No, you know, no, at all. But I remember like that uh, Romanian girl he couldn't even speak to. He had a love affair with her for like five episodes, exactly, yeah. and they're sitting at a table. And so just one wide shot with an interpreter as he reads the letter that she wrote or he wrote, and it and it, they're both in profile. And the interpreter's in the middle, and it's one wide shot, ten minutes. This scene, and they're so brilliant, and you, it's just like. You're not just a comedian. You're a fucking genius guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. I agree. Creator. Yeah. Auteur. Yeah. Do visionary you, guy. Exactly. Do you see yourself like, hey, man, an Oscar. Is an Oscar the pinnacle? We talk about pinnacle of transformation, Dan Day-Lewis. Like, is Oscar the pinnacle for you? Is that something that you go? I mean, like, I'm, I'm developing a movie about the guy who created the New York Marathon. His name is Fred Lebo. He was, a, he was um, from Transylvania. Immigrant. That's a real place? Uh, yes, okay. it is. <laughs> that was like a. Oh, did I say that wrong? No, Transylvania. Transylvania. I'm always like, it still it exists. I thought it was like Macedonia. Like it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> like it's now Croatia. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. No, anyway. it's a real place. <laughs> All right. I would love to dwell on that for a while. <laughs> um, so he's from Transylvania. So anyway, like there's a guy who uh, founded the New York Marathon, and then when he was 
He had just beaten cancer. He actually ran the race he founded for the first time. And after seven hours, fell flat on the end of the race and kissed the ground. And he was from Eastern Europe with a mustache and bald and had and, and friends with Greta Weitz and Alberto Salazar and Bill Rogers. And he, when the Bronx was burning, he brought Manhattan together, all five boroughs. Yeah. That's a role I could play, which we're having. I'm paying to have writers write with a yeah. boy from high school who would direct it, who made a documentary about this guy, Fred Lebo. And, you know, that's a role where, yeah, if all yeah. the fucking stars and then a whole other galaxy aligned, you could consider yourself in the running for an Oscar. Yeah, for sure. But I don't even deign to pretend that I would ever be in contention for that. Yeah. But you just You just want to do the work. You know? Yeah. So what- I mean, I, a guy I did this movie Defiance with, I'm watching the, the new Coen Brothers movie, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Oh, yeah, yeah, Netflix. And this kid who was just playing a guitar from Ireland in Defiance, little part. John Joe O'Neill shows up. He's playing a lead role in a Coen Brothers movie in the last vignette of the movie. And he's phenomenal. He's Irish. He's doing this effete British accent, talking yeah. with great posh yeah. dignity. And he's amazing. And you're like, unbelievable. Like, yeah. people emerge from the more normal, you know, yeah. le- level to boom. Good for you, John Joe. Yeah. And go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> At the same time, which yeah, yeah. I think I have to go. Yeah. Hey, is there anything that, uh, so let's, you, you, you kind of did your plugs. Uh, you got a show at the summer of Williamstown, and then you have a couple, anything coming out immediately? Better Things, episode Better, better things, things. And, and Law and Order SVU should be in a few weeks. Are you playing a rapist? Uh, yeah. Oh, nice. Hey. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, Great we, talking. We, yeah, we probably, <laughs> happy holidays, everybody. So yeah. We should probably have happy Hanukkah. Where, where can people find you? Do you have like a, do you um, do a website? Just go to Hancock Park. I'm often at Larchmont. <laughs> and I would love to take a picture with you. Rage and Saturday night. So what, where do you have like, do you use social media? Social Not media much, part of but I'm at Mark Feuerstein on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. I, I'll never see you there. Yeah. But I come by. But you have people who work that count for you. Oh, yes. They're wonderful. Shimmy and uh, Julie <laughs> over at my shul. All right, Mark, I'm so glad you came by and hung out at the yard. You're an awesome guy, Thank awesome you. actor, Bill, awesome man. I love you, man. I'm so happy for you that you're doing this. You're awesome at this. Oh, geez. I you're a no natural. Idea. Oh, well, thank you, sir. Yeah. I appreciate it. Now I'm And c- congratulations on all your other work on TV and on stage at the Comedy Clubs of America. You'll have to come back. I don't think you've seen me perform in like no, eight years. I need to see it. Yeah, it's I a lot I need to see more. how the breakdancing, the shimmying, yeah, the, break the white trash comedy <laughs> have emerged. Yeah, all right, one day. All right, man, thank you so much. Yep. This is Bill Doss signing off from Laugh Factory. Bye-bye. Bye. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh. <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. <laughs>